that security is certainly something that's more knee-jerk reaction than anything. If someone has to experience pain before they decide to invest in it. They have to experience pain to, to be able to even think about it. Otherwise, we're an autopilot. and it, it doesn't interest us. Most people don't care and they don't want to focus on it until it becomes a real problem. In case you haven't noticed, we love podcasts. In fact, we love building podcasts, everything from development to production. Because of all that, we're building a -a one-of-a-kind podcast network. If you have a podcast or looking to launch a new podcast, then we should talk. You can message me on Twitter at Eric underscore Kaz or hit us up any way that works for you. Let's talk about your podcast joining this one-of-a-kind podcast network. I had gotten recruited by Deloitte and had gone and worked there. And, and that's when I got exposed to cybersecurity. But they recruited me for IT compliance audits. So okay. <laughs> going in and auditing financial systems, it was awful. And then they transitioned me into security and I got a taste for the good side, right? Versus okay. being on the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. And that was when I got addicted to uh, cybersecurity. And then I was a CISO for a brief period before starting this company. Okay. So much money goes into security, right? Like in our day-to-day life, like protecting our house, protecting our cars, right? Just our children, like whatever that is. You're like securing, like if a kid's going to get on a bike, they got to wear a helmet. Like there's all different layers of security and you invest in it, right? We spend money on this stuff, like real hard-earned money. And then you get into like some of the stuff that's on a computer and you would like lock up your computer. But I think like you would expose your computer, like this is at the very basic level. Like I could go across the street to Starbucks and I could go tap into their Wi-Fi and I might not realize like, what did I just sign up for? And what am I going to do when I'm in there? And am I just, am I going to log into my bank account? Am I going to do these things? And what are abilities does someone have to hack into this? And then you have passwords, right? And that there's all these incredible password protection tools, but it's like, I've seen think people create passwords. They write them down on a piece of paper or they save it and they send it an email. It's just interesting to me that like, there's a lot of people that aren't willing to take the steps when it comes to their secure like information and that they're putting out there, yet we're securing things, like I said before, every single day with what we have. So again, I'm taking this to a very basic level to start. But like when I say all that, like what comes to mind? What are you thinking about? No, I think you nailed it. I think that people need to understand that security is not complicated. And the reason that every blog post is saying change your password frequently or set up MFA or store everything in a password manager, have logging enabled. All of that stuff is super basic and we're tired of hearing it, but it's still how compromises are happening. So until that changes, until the vast majority of people stop having their password be kitty123, we're going to continue having these conversations. So I think people need to understand that investing in security is not that hard. I think we still have not solved for the convenience factor because it is quite inconvenient. Yeah. To manage a bazillion passwords, even if you have a password manager, it's it quite inconvenient to go change your passwords. Well, that's it. Okay, so now I was writing this down while you were talking, the time, the time that it takes to do these things. And if you do it, it's a little faster. Like if you have a good system set up, it can be faster. But I get it, you know, like not everyone's going to take the time like I would to make like my family, like I'll probably get a text at some point while we're talking from one of my kids, like what's the password for something, right? Like whatever it is, like it could be HBO Max, it could be the Duolingo app that they use, or it could be the school thing that they have to log into because I've managed all that stuff. So at least it's protected in some way, but it's so funny. So it's like, I love talking to my kids, doesn't matter, but it is. It's like minor inconveniences, like no one has access to this stuff. And it does take time to do it. And I guess it's just like daily habits, right? Like we're willing to spend time on certain things. 
But then when it comes to, well, you know what? I'll just give them this information. And next thing you know, you could expose, like there's social security numbers, there's addresses, there's your driver's license. Like it's just right there. And it's scary when you think about it, but I don't know if like, maybe it's because it's just so easy to make it easy that you just make it as easy as possible and you don't think twice about it until something bad happens. And then you have that traumatic experience. And that's when we're like, you know what? Now I have to defend my fortress. Yeah, exactly. I think that the problem is, is the things that you were talking about outside of passwords, social security numbers, address, and state of birth, those things are static. They don't change. You can't go change those. And so once they're out, it's just like when you say something, you can't unsay it. So it's a very similar concept of, of not being able to retract that information. So the other important component is your security posture is only as strong as the weakest component of that security posture. So your house could be Fort Knox with your Wi-Fi and you could be completely off the grid from the internet and not use your personal information anywhere, but then one of your kids exposes it in their online habits and, and you're compromised. Yeah. People also, they'll complain like the internet's exposing too much of our information, but I remember being in college and my mom had sent me, I had checks mailed to my house in Buffalo and I lived in Charleston, South Carolina. And she's mailed the checks to me because I needed them. Okay. The checks never got there. Where do the checks go? I don't know. Okay, well, let's order new checks. Well, in that period of time, someone had stolen the checks. I don't know where they stole them from. And they somewhere in the mail and they went to Walmart and they went to Home Depot and they went to all these places and they racked up $200 here, $500 there and on and on and on is thousands of dollars basically like stole with my name and my signature and all this type of stuff and back like that long ago. But like that took time to unwind. That was, you know, my personal profile, everything was gone and this money and then you had to argue it and it took time. So it's like, it's not just the internet that's doing it. Like this stuff is like, you can be held up at gunpoint and they can take your wallet from you right then and there. It's not just, well, security's bad on the internet and you know, and all these things are being disrupted. No, no, this, this, this stuff existed when it was just paper, right? I love that. Yeah. And we're getting into like the Web3 world that we're dealing with because people are freaking out in there. And it's like, well, well, this was just hacked. And yes, and that's a problem. And that's why you're here, right? That's why we're having this conversation. But at the same time, stuff gets stolen every single day. So how do we make it? And it maybe because it's like this new thing that exists to where it like, do we expect 100% foolproof? Like this can't happen. It's like when a Tesla crashes, everyone's like, well, you can't drive a Tesla anymore because that just crashed. Well, it's like cars are crashing. Like I could look out, I'm on a main road on Providence Road in Charlotte, North Carolina. And there's this intersection here and there's car crashes like every single day that I'm here. So it's like, and those are individuals driving their car into each other, right? So it's like, what do we expect from the technology? Again, I'm just speaking. My wife always says, like, I'm a stream of consciousness. But like, when you hear all that type of stuff, like, what comes to your mind? Yeah, no, I, I think you touched on some pretty credible points. I think that the biggest thing that comes to my mind is that the Tesla is a good example. Tesla, every time they have a crash test, I don't know if you saw the video last week of it hitting the, the kid dummy and everyone was freaking out on the internet. But in reality, the margin for error is much smaller for Teslas than it is for people. I think that coming from the audit background, a lot of things that we were always pushing for is automated controls because humans are just silly and they make mistakes. And you don't want your controls, your objectives that you're taking to reduce a risk at an organization, you don't want those to be controlled by humans whenever possible. So I think we need to apply that same principle in our personal lives and automating as much as we can is the way to do that. So I think that we haven't gotten there as a 
like from a technology perspective, everything's still very manual. And so I think password managers, I think VPN, I think that you're seeing great companies like Apple coming out with better and better encryption and or uh, security rather in general. That's moving the needle in the right direction. And we need to continue to go in that direction because otherwise we're just going to keep making these same mistakes back to your original point. Right. Yeah. It's ongoing too, right? Like what you're trying to protect or let me think about this. So like when we look at crypto or anything in that realm, stuff's being created right now. Like again, I'm not saying that's why you all exist, but it could be a big reason why. And there's companies working on it. Like we're still early on. Like the internet in some respects is still, it's not early in the internet. Like it's been around for a while, but the development in like the exponential growth of what we're dealing with in technology, it's exponential. And so people are working on these things to help provide security, but it's not like we reach this, there's no finish line, I think, right? Maybe that's what I'm getting at. Like there's no end in it because they'll just figure out another way to go around it. So you have to continue to evolve with it, right? Yeah. The way we describe it to our customers is security is a loop and not a line. It's very much once you start this, there's no getting off the train. It's a continuous investment and it's a mindset shift. It's a different way of doing things and you just have to embrace that. There's companies and and individuals alike that are shooting for some end goal and then think they're done. And you just you simply can't. You have to continuously invest in a better security hygiene, whether you're someone buying NFTs on the internet or you're a multinational organization collecting sensitive data. Yeah. I like how you just said security hygiene. So I don't know why I'm bringing it back. So like my dad was a dentist, you know, when he built his business, he talked about, you know, like your dental hygiene. Right. Like you have to brush your teeth, you have to floss your teeth. If not, you're going to show up and you're going to have problems. Like you could have major problems and we're going to have to work on it. It's going to be very painful. It's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to take a lot of time. It's going to be all these things. It's no different than like, again, completely different industries, but the security hygiene is like to that point. So it just made me think of like that correlate to that. Fantastic analogy. If yeah. people didn't hate Dennis so much, I would just steal that right, right. now. Right. Like, yeah, you can't use it. Yeah. It's, I'm still not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you make of all of like, Again, it's maybe like the Tesla headline is an example of it. When someone loses a lot of money or business loses a lot of money in crypto or they all their NFTs were stolen or they forgot their key phrase on MetaMask and they can't access it anymore because it's gone forever. There's nothing you can do about it. Like those stories are like top of the line. And then you have the haters come out and be like, see, I told you so. And then the other people on the other side were like, no, 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 this is it. It's just, you know like someone in security, like what do you think of all these stories that we keep hearing about? I certainly think that one, I feel terrible for these people because we're kind of in a Wild West era where there's no regulation. There's still no guidance, really. You have to go and really search for even the basic fundamentals of how do I protect this new asset class that I've never had before. And I think that it's unfortunate because a lot of people are losing a ton of money in this process as eternal guinea pigs. I also think though that it's human nature for people to just bag on things they don't understand. And so it happens with every new technology that hits the market. And Web3 in general is is just a new technology that people don't understand and they don't believe in it. And they're going to hate on it. And the people that have believed in it for the last decade have made a lot of them a tremendous amount of money. I do think that there's going to have to be this, at least some sort of, if not regulation, at least the standard. I think that there needs to not necessarily be mandated. We don't even have mandated security in the US for most companies, let alone for crypto companies and Web3 companies. But I do think having some kind of 
external standard of being able to come in and, and validate security and be able to give that stamp of approval of like at least have some kind of baseline of this is how I can protect my assets, whether I'm an individual or whether I'm a business absolutely needs to happen. I think people freak out. You get the crypto market and they're the folks that don't want regulation, right? Inherently, they're the folks that are inherently against regulation and control. But there has to be something in place. Otherwise, people are going to keep losing their bums. Yeah, they are. You know, and it goes back a little bit to the same point, like people are getting stuff stolen today or they're losing their stuff today, right? It happens, right? Like where were we? We were in the ocean. My wife has her brand new glasses on and we didn't think twice of it. And huge wave comes, those glasses are gone. Like we could go look for them and we were laughing about it. They're gone. There's nothing you can do. There's no one we can go and talk to and ask like, can we get a refund? No, you can't. They're gone. And you're not the first person to go through this. Like we lose hundreds, you know, we hear these stories like over and over again. So what do you do? Well, you can buy the band that goes around it. You cannot wear them in the ocean. Like there's certain things you can do to protect it. You can have a backup pair if you ever do lose them. Like whatever, I don't know. But I think that's where it's just like taking it serious. And to your point where people just say, this is too complicated or this is too risky and I don't want to even deal with it. So I'm just going to say no to it or I'm going to hate on it or I'm going to do whatever that is to like push it to the side. But it feels, and we don't, no one knows, it feels inevitable. Like things are going in that direction. I think like you said, what's all that now? Like everything's running off of crypto and fiat money doesn't matter anymore. Like I just think that there's a lot that's happening to say, no, no, this is here to stay. And then people are spending a lot of time and energy putting effort into this. And then there's companies like you that say like, because what we need, maybe you need some regulation and you need security to protect this. So you don't lose it. And you protect against people that are coming to possibly take it away. How involved is Eden Data with all of this, what's going on in Web3? So we serve a variety of Web3 companies. We're typically B2B right now. We are exploring new options of going and at least putting out information on how to protect yourself personally because it just doesn't exist in a official way today. But I think for the most part, right now, we are helping a lot of these crypto companies that are providing some kind of service that they are collecting inherently. You've got these crypto companies that have they're just storing their encryption keys in unencrypted buckets in their AWS environment, for example. And when you're using, based on the nature of the business where you have something like a currency that requires an encryption key, that requires this component to be able to validate the identity and validate the, the actual asset, you have to have uh, security around that process more so than you would as a normal business, I guess. So it's essentially that these are currency companies and there needs to be a lot more diligence around their processes. That's what we help with. Okay. So helping build in better security hygiene. But again, like a lot of the stuff that applies to a Web3 company also applies to just about any cloud-based organization. So what people think is that, oh, with Web3, it's way more complicated because I don't understand the technology and therefore I won't understand the security. And that's just not true. They're storing their their information in the cloud just like everybody else. They still onboard employees and offboard employees and they still got to do security awareness training and all the all the boring stuff. But the boring stuff is what moves the needle on risk. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in the Web3 startup community. So you're seeing and you're going to see more, right? Businesses come to be that are working on, you name it, right? Like the type of business that you can create in that is unlimited and it could be related to security. It could be related to creation. It could be related to just any aspect of it, production. What are you seeing in that space right now? Has it been like 
Have you seen like this exponential growth when it comes to like new companies entering the market or that are coming to you? Like maybe they've been in the market and they're like, now they have actual money to invest in their infrastructure. Like what are you seeing in that space? It's actually been kind of surprising. I would say first, we've seen both of what you mentioned, but surprisingly, you've got quite a few people entering the industry that are starting a company, but they are coming in with a lot of money because they believed in crypto early on and have invested heavily in it. And so they're able to... We've got companies that have a couple guys and their dog, and they have millions of dollars in capital to be able to spend. And so they're investing in security very early on. So I think though that we are still seeing a lot of what we see in the general market, which is that most people are just going and spinning up a company, trying to make money as quickly as possible. And security is either not a thought at all, or it's an afterthought. And so there are still a fair amount of companies that are coming to us from a knee-jerk reaction of either experiencing pain or reading about something in the news and finally saying, we need to get this solved. However, I will close this out with saying that I do think that the, the Web3 market in particular seems to be focusing more on security than the broader startup market, which is pretty cool to see. So people are investing in security earlier on. Yeah. Do you all plan on staying? Is it only Web3 related companies or are you also working with like the businesses, like a, not a blue chip, but like those companies that have been around for a long time? Where do you see that? It's just from like a vision standpoint. Yeah. I do think that the general vision or the original vision for Eden Data was to be able to help startups and scale up. So helping them earlier on and not having a lot of services or trying to go mid-market to enterprise. And there just isn't a lot of opportunity for these startups and scale-ups to be able to invest in security and get any meaningful return on their investment. So that vision is definitely going to carry over in the Web3 market. For the foreseeable future, we're planning on going all in on startups and scale-ups, keeping it to where we are staying in that five to, to 500 employee range. That being said, I think we'd be open if we ever had opportunity to, to serve these blue chip companies. Heck yeah, we would consider things like that. We do absolutely plan on being a thought leader in the security space as it relates to Web3. And we're hoping that opens a lot of doors. Yeah, for scaling up your own side of the business. I mean, you're obviously in a great city when it comes to technology in Austin, Texas. Are you remote? Are people coming to the office? Are they all over the world? Yeah. So the team is spread out across the US. We're across eight states now, and the team is fully remote. So we do have an office in Austin. Nobody ever goes into it, but the team operates on a remote model. And then we get together a couple times a year. As we've expanded out into other countries, we're operating in five countries now with customers. And so we are planning on expanding our team beyond the US in the near term. Are you finding challenges? You know, there's so much debate and conversation and polarization, I should say, when it comes to work from home, you know, come in the office, you know, there's certain companies that have been remote before COVID, right? COVID just brought this conversation to like front page news type of stuff. You know, Malcolm Gladwell comes out with that comment. And I would argue that people missed the context of what he was talking about because it was an hour and 40 minute conversation about what he said. So I understand people are going to be upset about it. But I'm like, I think you should go listen to that conversation because the host was actually talking more about it than he was. But again, that's more of like an afterthought related to it. But at the same time, his line at 120 minutes into that conversation goes front page New York Post and people freak out because they want to talk about work from home and not working from home and all this kind of stuff. How are you feeling about how are you seeing it? Like clearly you want the best talent. And if they happen to live in Arkansas, well, so be it. They live in Arkansas or New York State or whatever. And I, I agree with that. But it's also good to have people around and to see them and to talk to them. That's why you all get together. But like, what's been your 
thought process on working from home remote work as it's become such a who knew that this would become such a hot topic? <laughs> yeah, I think that you have to you have to essentially shift your hiring process. I think there are certain people out there that are absolutely you can tell from the get go in the interviews they desperately need human interaction, they desperately need guidance, they desperately need someone there that essentially is bringing them energy and bringing them things to do. Kind of a yes man or yes woman. And those are not the people we want to hire. So we need the people that are absolutely self-starters and can be at home and can know when they need to work and when they don't and be kind of in charge of their own destiny. And that's what we've had to do to hire. We've definitely been burned a few times in hiring the wrong types of people. And back to your point, Eric, yeah, I think that there's benefit in both. But then back to what you said about where talent lives, like I do not want to limit our success because I believe that I need to see someone in person. I think that success can be found with having people completely remote. You just have to invest in the right things to be able to make it successful, meaning things like getting people together frequently, making sure that you're still investing in in culture in some form or fashion. Maybe you're not buying coffee and snacks for an office, but you need to be doing that for them remotely. And you need to be having frequent interactions just in general, because it is very hard to build a relationship with people that you have not met in person. And I definitely think that needs to be addressed early and often. Yeah. But it is easier than it's been, right? I mean, that's one thing. It's like the way you can communicate. And I get it. It's not the same thing, but it's a lot better than what we had even five years ago. 20 years ago of building these relationships and staying in touch and communicating and real fast. And I think that's right, you know, with being burned in the past. I remember talking to this army combat veteran and when they make a decision, they have to have this decision. You don't ever have all the information, but you make the best decision you can with that information and you regroup on it afterwards. But even going further with that is the people that are going to be around you that are making those decisions or that are going to follow your decisions is having no compromise with who they are. Once they show that it does, it's again, this is not like you're fired by doing the wrong thing one time. But once you realize that it doesn't fit what you've set out, the type of person that you wanted to hire, it's not going to work. And that's very hard to do because I know I do this. Like you have this person and you you make excuses for why they can't get it done or why this won't happen. And you talk yourself into why it's going to work. And then six months go by, a year go by, or however long. And you've heard these stories of founders that are like, I just should have ended that sooner. Or they should have opted out sooner. And why didn't they? And and who knows? It could be damaging to a company. But understanding, like, I love how you talk about, you have to hire for it. Like, you have to know, like, this is what that person needs to do. And you have to look for certain things. And you can't talk yourself out of that or talk yourself into something else just because, like, they have this set of attributes that are really good But when a push comes to shove and you just know they're not going to be able to get it done working from their own house, well, then you can't hire that person or you have to make the move at some point to say, this is not a fit. Exactly. Yep. I think that the responsibility falls more on the employer than the employee of making it abundantly clear from the get-go. We actually just finished an interview process. We made it through four interviews with someone. And every step of the way, we were saying, this is a remote organization. This is a remote organization. You are going to be at home alone on Zoom calls. And then two to three times a year, you're going to get with us. And we made it to the final offer letter. And he said, you know, I need human interaction. I need to be able to (laughs) do an office. I've got to decline. Yeah, And that is great. That saves me so much heartache and money. And you just need to set the precedence from the get-go. Yeah. You have, like, even as soon as we got on, like, you have this real good energy, positive vibes, like, you're just like, I can see the enthusiasm you have with, like, what you do, your business, security in general, and all that. 
And, you know, you're working from home and this isn't necessarily homework, but it's like even being like on a computer for many hours a day. And I'm just curious as to, you know, we've talked to a lot of people like athlete mental health has become a big thing over the last couple of years during COVID. And, you know, you've seen Olympians and football players that are like, you know, a fighter, I can't fight or I can't play. And I'm, you know, I have to work on my mental health. And that's great, right? Because people are speaking out and we don't understand like what their true experience is. Like, it's like, well, how could they do that? You know, they're this and they have, or someone has this great career and they have all this money. Like, how could they, what, what's wrong? Like, why can't they get over it themselves? And that's not it. They're having their own experience. Well, there's no doubt, like there's things when you're on a computer for many hours and you're by yourself and you don't have a lot of interaction, let's just say, and maybe they didn't want interaction, but you know, they still maybe needed to see someone here or there and had to get outside and go for a walk. Like what's it been like in the technology space, whether it's remote or just like all the things that I've just talked about as it relates to mental health and what you've seen of, right? It can be taxing on someone to be constantly on a device and technology and it's also empowering too, right? Because like, wow, we couldn't have done this, like I said, five years ago, 20 years ago. But there's so many sides to it, right? There's no like one answer. It's like anything else. It's not like social media is bad or social media is good. It's like, no, that's, it's complex. There's no easy answer to any of this stuff. It's like technology, like, or it's like, I'm sorry, cybersecurity. Like, it's not just like hit this button and you're good to go. Like, no, this is like very complicated and it's almost has to be like, it's up to you all to make it a little bit more simplistic for the businesses and the individuals that are going to use it. But as it relates to the people in the space working on it with their mental health, as you as a leader in this industry, like what are you seeing and what are you thinking as it comes to that? I think this is a fantastic topic because it is so darn easy, easier now than ever to fall into an awful, awful habit or trap of not focusing on mental health, thinking you don't need it. If you know the 1% rule where it's get 1% better every day and it compounds and uh, most people don't do that because they don't see improvement day one, day two, day three. They see it day 30, day 60 and people give up. Well, it's the same thing with mental health. People are just going, 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 doing these Zoom calls. The business is growing. Everything seems to be great. And they say, Oh, I'm great. And mental space is great. None of this is impacting me until all of a sudden they wake up one day and it feels like you've been hit by a truck because you're depressed. You are maybe out of shape and you haven't been focusing on your health. You feel like crap. You have no relationships with people. Like it hits you like a freight train. And I think that people need to understand that when people are putting out information about mental health and how important it is, it really, really is something you need to invest in early and often and getting... I think the way that we target this, we focus... Like I have my personal things. I love to focus on biohacking. I've got a sauna in my office for crying yeah. out loud. I do make uh, make it a point to to be outside frequent and and then focus on things that I like enjoy doing because at the end of the day, like cybersecurity is awesome and doing work is awesome, but it is work at the end of the day. So you need to to be able to do things that also bring you joy. And so then on the other side of that, we are also investing in mental health for our employees because... That's another thing. Like people will just you have to understand that everyone's going home to something and they are going through the same things that you are. And a lot of people are not going to invest in mental health themselves. So you kind of have to force it upon them is the strategy that Eden Data has taken. And it's gone uh, really well thus far. Yeah, that's awesome. No, it's important to write to see leaders in the space and because you have all these employees in all these different states and it's not solely your responsibility, but you can encourage things and you can help out with that process because it's hard as a leader. Like you might have someone going through something and you could take that on, right? You could take that issue. You could bring it home, right? And it affects the people that are around you and you have to support people as they're going through these things, right? It becomes like a family and there's a lot to it. And it's, 
it's an awareness piece of it. I've seen it, right? I've seen it play out with individuals. They're fine, they're fine, they're fine. And just like you said, something just happens. And it could be something that was just growing and building, or it could have been like a truly traumatic event that you could just never have expected. And those things happen. And that's unfortunate. And it's like, I guess you could almost attribute it like, it's not exactly cybersecurity, but everything's fine. Everything's fine every day. I've never had an issue with this. So why would I ever... And then one day it happens and your bank account's at zero and you're like, what just happened? And you could never have expected that. But when that happens, trust me, that's not a good feeling, right? Or if someone like writes a check, like I had one recently and like, what is the $775 out of our bank? I don't remember it. And then, you know, thank goodness the bank's like, was this you? And we're like, no, like, okay, that 775 is back in your account. The new card's been sent out, right? Like, and they just took care of it. But it's like, even in that little moment, like that's something you had to deal with. And maybe it wasn't that easy for somebody. Or it was a lot more, like I said, and your accounts to zero. And so there's a lot to think through because like you can be in cybersecurity, but you're also in HR, you're also in growing a business. You're also like, there's just a million things that are happening on a daily basis as a founder and uh, growing your business. Oh, uh, your analogies are on point, Eric. I couldn't agree more. I, I don't even have anything to add to that because I, I think that it's fantastic. Yeah, the yeah. security is certainly something that's more knee-jerk reaction than anything. If someone has to experience pain before they decide to invest in it. They have to experience pain to, to be able to even think about it. Otherwise, we're in autopilot. and it, it doesn't interest us. Most people don't care and they don't want to focus on it until it becomes a real problem. Well, I mean, you think about like 9-11 as an example. Like We had security at the airport. Like My kids... Like when you go to the airport now, this is not what it was when I was a kid, right? Right. And things just changed and it changed like overnight and you couldn't bring. And then there was the whole situation with like bringing liquids onto an airplane. When someone tried to build a bomb on the airplane with a certain amount of liquids and now it has to be three and a half ounces or less. And you can only have, I think it was, I did look this up recently because my daughter did a bunch of things with her. She was bringing, it was like 10 of them, right? You could have 10 or less bottles of three and a half ounces or something. I don't know how they came, but there's a reason for it. But like security changed and all of a sudden it was like, remember post 9-11, like to get through security. Now you have TSA, which has been crazy too. But again, that's security at the national level. And it changed because of something that happened on one morning on September 11th. And it just changed national security forever. I mean, I remember like, getting put on a plane by like my parents. I was, I sort of remember like a vision as like a baby or like a little kid, not a baby, but like you couldn't do that. You like they weren't going on the plane with us. Like we were flying to see my grandparents. Like, well, you can't do that, right? You couldn't get through security and no matter what. Anyway, it's to your point about until that need your, until something happens, that's obviously like a major event, but same thing, like getting something stolen. It leads me to thinking some of these things and getting on the web back into web three, like, hot wallets, right? And you mentioned this on your website and you're probably helping companies that are in that space that are creating these things. And it's confusing. It's like, you got to go read blog posts and watch YouTube videos on how to set this stuff up. So these are the companies that are creating it and they're doing an amazing job of making it as easy as possible to consume, but it's still not there, right? Right? It's not adopted mainstream quite yet. But when you hear these things that are coming out, because it's like, what do you mean? I got hot wallets. I got, was it cold wallets? I got my regular wallet. I got my credit cards. It's like, man, this is the adoption is going to take some time with it. I think we're just really early. And I think that's the thing we all have to remind ourselves when it comes to Web3 and crypto and all that. But like, where are you seeing the innovation as it relates to these wallets? 
I think that the wallets themselves are a concept that's already seen success in the general market in the sense of, of hardware tokens and external keys. Like that process is still one of the best ways for you to have an additional form of authentication just in the broader sense of cybersecurity. And so the wallets themselves are pretty bulletproof. It's how people are handling the wallets that is unfortunate. So we're seeing, of course, people storing their their backup keys. They're just storing those on their computer or they're storing them somewhere on... Usually it's their computer or they'll store it in their email. They'll store it as a screenshot on their computer. And if that gets compromised, your entire wallet's compromised. I think the other thing is, is that people think, oh, I just have one wallet. I store everything in there. And you're basically putting all your eggs in one basket. So having this idea of spreading out your assets and diversifying them based on, of course, the value and your order of purchasing, like the way that we recommend is funneling these NFTs to different wallets based on both value and based on your long-term plans with them. And back to your hot versus cold wallet reference, that's essentially, I guess to to round out the answer, Eric, it is very much process-driven. The security element is where we're seeing the most success because the technology is already there. So the technology of how these companies are storing your data, the technology of these wallets, for example, that's already there. It's already advanced. It already works really well. And it's been proven. There's only so much a company can do for you. And then you have to change kind of your habits in order to effectively fulfill the security chain. Yeah. The markets, you know, whether it's stock markets, crypto, NFTs, like it was just like, oh, it was just, it was rock and roll and like everything's working, wow. right? Throwing darts, right? You know, then we have the bear and things are happening and it's very confusing. Like, see, and there's a lot of see, I told you so's. And, you know, again, like the haters come out and, and that's a good time too, because it's like a time to like take a deep breath and like, what's going on here? Because it's never going to just go up. It's just, that's impossible. So, okay. So it drops yet. It's not gone. And what happens from here? And it's like, I like having these conversations during this time because the person can't just say, well, it's just doing so well. So you have to invest in it. You have to do it. Well, no, it's, there's always like, again, it's complex. It's just like, there's so many variables involved with this thing. Like when Russia invades Ukraine, like the impact that that has internationally, like try to decipher how that impacts the local economy. Well, I mean, it does, but it's like, it's, you can't just draw the straight line here. Like there's just complexities to it and that's okay. Someone's like, well, just box it up and tell me the answer. Like we can create headlines for you and we can make it simpler. Oh, okay. Or analogies and things like that. Like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. But like, it's just way more complex than all of that. But it's overall, like you've used all these words and we've talked about it and we're talking about Web3 and talk about NFTs because I'll hear someone say the NFTs are the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. And someone over here would be like, NFTs are this is an amazing opportunity for artists. And, and then there's like, we don't even know what it's going to look like. Because I was like, well, what if NFTs, it's like not even NFT, it's just NFT technology, but you don't necessarily call it NFT and that's the future. And that's where we live. When you buy a ticket to go see the Texas Longhorns, well, you're buying an NFT, but we just don't call it that. And here's what you get from it. And if that's the epic game that they want at the last second, then that has value to it. And it has this hologram. I don't know, right? But you're overall bullish on NFTs, like on a macro level, not like necessarily what's going to happen in the market today, but just overall and where we're going and whether it's NFTs or any of those things, like you have a good feeling about this. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. I think that the market is naturally going to go that direction, just like all the sci-fi novels point out and big Ready Player One fan over here. Like It's certainly going in the direction of people are spending more and more time on the internet versus off the internet. And while there's 
implications there from a health standpoint and in regards to what that means for the psychological impacts. We'll remove that for a moment and say that people are going more and more digital and, and the things that we are purchasing have more value digitally than not. Currency is all digital. Like a lot of the investment classes that we invest in, kids are spending their money now instead of at the convenience store, they're spending it on new skins, on Call of Duty, like everything's starting to... And Fortnite, uh, things are going far more digital. And at the end of the day, it, it comes down to what people see value in. Like you see some of these paintings that are going for millions of dollars, physical paintings that look like crap. I would never pay that money even if I had it. But somebody paid it. Somebody saw value in it. And that's the entire point of art. That's the entire point of just any kind of physical, tangible thing that we can purchase. Uh, physical is not the right word, I guess, but tangible thing that we can purchase. Yeah. Well, you're starting to see like some of those comments that I just told you about, like this one person said, this is stupid. And one of the person like on the other end of it, this is in the music industry. So like people are minting songs now. Look at what does that look like? Well, you can create a graphic. It could be the album cover. Like I was talking to someone, it's like, well, why did CDs or records have covers on it? Well, that's cool. And that's interesting to have, but it was like the stuff that's behind it. It's the song, it's the lyrics, it's all of it. And then it's a connection you have perhaps with that artist. Well, and then the music industry has been known for years to take advantage of artists. And like art galleries have been taking advantage of artists for years. So it's like, there's also utility behind what it is that you're getting. Like, well, why can't a podcast be minted, right? And that's some of the stuff that we're talking about here is like what we're building. is like, it doesn't just have to be that art, right? That physical piece, right? That you turn and, and digitize it. Like there's a lot more that's happening in that space. And what's the utility behind that perhaps piece of art. And so it's being revolutionized. It's overnight. It's just really early to it. But it's interesting to hear from your perspective, like what you see, because you've already talked about like, you know, you could talk about Snow Crash or Ready Player One. And it's amazing to me that Neil Stevenson was like coining the word metaverse back like when he wrote the book in the 90s. And like, again, he's not saying he got it all right. And he was just making shit up, as he said, but like, that was what they were doing. And it's just fascinating that we're here and then it's fascinating. Maybe it's not that it's polarized now. It's like, well, some people are like, this is the worst thing ever. And other thing like, this is the best thing ever. And I think it's just way more complex than all of that. But I don't think it's going anywhere. And I was like, I'd rather have conversations with people in this space to just then eventually make my own conclusions that could evolve over time and to talk to someone in cybersecurity that's spending a lot of time in the Web3 startup space to say like, well, what do you think of NFTs, right? And what do you think of where this is going? Like, do you have any other thoughts as to like, and again, take this in any direction you want to as it relates to NFTs. And when I'm talking about like, a lot of it's graphic related and having your avatar or whatever, your image on Twitter, right? Your profile image that could take over and that's really cool. And you can on Discord and have these conversations. But like, where do you see it going with NFTs? Not to say this prediction has to be right. That's not it. But like some overall general things that you see related to NFTs, like where are we headed? Yeah, I think that we, of course, an expansion of the existing things that are starting to take off. So your digital assets in general of art scene has taken off. I do think what you touched on with music is incredibly cool. I, I'm sure you saw what Chainsmokers did, for example, of selling their most recent album and everybody gets a basically a dividend from purchasing that due to the fact that they now own that currency, that NFT as part of the album. I certainly think that that's going to expand out. I think that there's going to be a lot more of a this community-driven movement where... So of course, Bored Apes pulled it off in an epic way. But I think that there's going to be a lot more of membership-style services online. There's going to be a lot more of a this kind of like 
I want to say gang, but that gives the wrong implication, but it's very tribal in nature where the direction of NFTs are going in terms of how you can be a part of a, a new community based on assets that you own online. And then, of course, I do think... I personally think that it, I don't know how I could convince myself to go purchase an, an online digital real estate asset. But I do see the market trending in that direction as metaverse becomes more of a thing. As we invest more in VR and AR, I think that there is going to be a huge uptick in the value that people see in buying something completely digitally online that are traditionally thought of as asset classes in the real world. So real estate specifically, but it goes well beyond that. Yeah. Do you see a place where like insurance contracts, titles on your house, that those would be, you know, it's like if you buy a house, then there's like this line item on there where your title was $925. And you're like, what do they do? Pull a file? Like, what? That's so ridiculous. Like, and you have to pay, right? It is what it is. That's fine. And that's just like paying for parking. Like, you just have to pay for it. But like, do you see that those things, you know, the insurance industry, and we have an insurance business, it's like one of the ways we started our company. And, you know, I'm not as involved with on a day to day, but I see the archaic behavior that the life insurance industry has and how they're going through these things and they're trying to get better. But it's like, wow, we're just not there yet. I know there's fintech and there's disruption, but it's like still not there yet. Do you see like, and these are their contracts, like the title, the life insurance policy is a contract. Do you see at some point, and if you looked at this and if you haven't, that's okay too, but like living on the blockchain. And again, that's not happening tomorrow, but do you see that's a direction that we could be going to where it's not necessarily like, oh, it's so cool to have this thing. And I own this sneaker that I can take with me and play in all the different games. Could it be as simple as like, no, the title of my house is also on the blockchain and here's the number to prove that? Yeah, I absolutely do because it's simply a better process than what we have today. And so just like any other technology that gets improved upon or any other process rather that gets improved upon with technology, I think that that's a natural progression as well of us having better ways to manage contracts because you're right, it is completely archaic. I think that we're also going to see that in ways like with ownership of bank accounts and trusts and wills and things like that that also essentially operate on a contract. I think that that can be very much streamlined and identities can be proven more efficiently. And the only problem I have is that those industries as a whole are very archaic, which you said, Eric, and they take forever just to get like even now and from a security perspective, legal entities, insurance companies, very laggard when it comes to security themselves. And so if they're not even embracing security, right. I'm afraid that I'm going to be old and frail by the time they end <laughs> yeah, up yeah. needing full contract, uh, smart contracts. But I do see the industry eventually go in that direction. Yeah. All right. So we get to this point and people are like, I'm interested. I want to keep learning more. But there's always these conversations, Taylor, that it always comes back to that we're having a lot right now is energy, right? And all of this stuff consumes a lot of energy. And cybersecurity is a part of that. And you're supporting companies that are building these things that like if you're minting NFTs, well, there's a lot of energy being used up, right? To mint that NFT and to store and secure that NFT wherever that NFT is living. When you hear people talk about energy, it relates to this. I mean, we're using energy right now, right? We have microphones, we have computers, we got recording devices, we got all sorts of stuff happening. I got other pages open. So like we're using a good bit of energy, just this conversation right now. And, you know, when you look at Web3, it's like to that next level, perhaps, and then the security support, all that. Like when you hear energy conversations related to this and like, well, this is just going to end the planet, right? This is, this is it. This is going to be too much of a tax and we can't handle it. Where does that take you? I do think that we're going to have to identify 
more efficient ways to invest in mining, for example, and in management of these currencies. I certainly think that we are creating a detriment right now because the technology is so early on. You're seeing great moves like with Ethereum's upcoming, their split that they're going to be able to... I mean, I'm not sure if you've seen the stats on how much more efficient they're going to be from an energy consumption perspective with the new launch of Ethereum. But that kind of stuff is the direction that we need to be headed. However, I also am a big believer that we've got a bunch of huge problems outside of crypto that are creating ecological and energy-related disasters on this planet that we should be putting far more focus on. So I think that this is it's an easy argument for people to make that do not believe in the technology. But in reality, I certainly don't think that it's worse than, than some of the other things that are going on with this planet and how we treat the planet as a whole. So that's kind of my thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like any a lot of these other conversations we've had today, complex, right? And there's just a lot more to it than just pulling the headline and reading it. But it's definitely a conversation that a lot of things that people are saying is, this is why I don't want to believe in it, because it's the mining, the energy consumption and all of this. So it's like, well... I think there's more conversations to be had and just like this conversation that we had and you like, providing your insights on it, I think is important. And I think it's important for all of us to keep reading and thinking about this stuff. So Taylor, I appreciate all of this. This has been awesome. Like, where do we learn more about you? Where do we learn more about Eden? Absolutely. I'm a big user of LinkedIn. And then I'm also slowly growing my Twitter audience. So LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me. Twitter is secondary. I usually use Twitter to put out more crypto content and, and Web3 related information. And then LinkedIn is for our broader cybersecurity and Web3. So Eric, your questions have been awesome. This has been a great experience for me. I appreciate you giving me the platform and the opportunity. It means a lot. Yeah, you're welcome. In case you haven't noticed, we love podcasts. In fact, we love building podcasts, everything from development to production. Because of all that, we're building a one-of-a-kind podcast network. If you have a podcast or looking to launch a new podcast, then we should talk. You can message me on Twitter at Eric underscore Kaz or hit us up any way that works for you. Let's talk about your podcast joining this one-of-a-kind podcast network.